If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hello and welcome to There Is No Offseason, the Dynasty Baseball Podcast at Baseball Prospectus. My name is Jesse Roach. I'm a Dynasty writer and ranker at Baseball Prospectus. You can follow me on Twitter at J-A-R-O-C-H-E-6. With me today is my co-host, Brett Sayer, president and CEO of Baseball Prospectus, the founder of the Dynasty Guru, the original top 500, uh, I guess, ranker. I mean, there was no one before Brett, uh, the original co-host of Tino. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Brett Sayer BP. Welcome back, Brett. Nice. Good to be back. Uh, this today, we are going to be talking about the Keystone second base, which is an atrocious fantasy position. and <laughs> It continues to be. Uh, and before we get into the players, let's talk about the state of the position uh how are you feeling about second base brett um no, not very good it's it, it's not we're, we're talking about this before we started recording it's not that everyone at the position is terrible but it feels like even the players that are pretty good at the position are just boring it's just not there's no there's no oomph here yeah, it lacks impact. The shortstop, you get some oomph. This, you, this is just, uh, you know, you you obviously have to have a second baseman. But <laughs> yeah, second base certainly lacks. It lacks impact. I mean, that's the biggest I think flaw in the position. I mean, you're not gonna be drafting any of these players in, let's say, in redraft. You're unlikely to draft any of these in the first two rounds. In dynasty, I'd really only consider one of them as early as the second round and uh that is and we'll just talk about the top of the position in a second uh and, but you know i do think there's a lot of like m- middle depth here at second base and i think it's a position that you can probably fairly safely wait on in both redraft and dynasty um in, in la- you know if you don't want to pay up for the top options there's just like a lot of players that you can get after pick 150 that I mean, they're fine. <laughs> they're fine. And, I mean, we are probably not going to spend a boatload of time discussing issues players because, well, they're just not that exciting. And that's the issue with the position. But let's get uh, to the exciting players in a moment. But before we do that, let's talk about our sponsor, Fantrax. If you're looking to start a new league, be it Dynasty or Redraft, I would recommend Fantrax. It has the most customizable format. It has the deepest player pool. It has unparalleled customer customer service that's consistently improving and, and taking feedback. Uh, it's fairly easy to transition leagues from other platforms to Fantrax as well. Uh, you can access a special offer, fantrax.com slash BP, and you'll be entered for a giveaway, which they always have some signed bats, signed jersey, something very enticing to potentially uh, get. But really, the enticing thing here is just the the type of format that Fantrax offers is just really unparalleled for, in particular, Dynasty Leagues. So let's dive into the second base position. And we're going to start at the very top. And I think there is a reasonable debate about who should be number one. And for me, it's, I think it's somewhat clear. I think it's Jazz Chisholm, um, but I can definitely see the case to be made for Ozzy Albies. Now for Jazz Chisholm, this is a player who was on pace last year before his injuries for a 32 home run, 27 stolen base season, <laughs> including, and I, I'm, I think this is maybe the most shocking part of it all, He was also on pace for 125 runs and 104 RBIs. I mean, that's epic, epic run production, 5x5 production at the position. Uh, It's 
and I think that the reason why I prefer him to Albies and why I think he's at the top is because I think he has unparalleled power and speed potential here. He's basically easily, in my mind, the highest upside player here. There are big issues, though. I mean, he's, for one, not going to be a second base like the second baseman for long because after the acquisition of Luis Arise, he's likely moving to center field. I mean, that's basically the plan right now. Center field notoriously breaks bodies. So, you know, while he's already had issues with injuries early in his, in his career, I think that, you know, I, we can't guarantee he's going to be necessarily the healthiest player playing center field. And then, of course, there are there's the contact issues, which he still has. His zone contact rate was under 75%, for example, last year. He's a lift and pull player, so it allows him to get to a lot of his power, but he's just, the average is probably almost always going to disappoint. Uh, what's your take on Jazz? Uh, I, I, I am with you. I mean, I, I, I would not think about it for more than a half a second when comparing Chisholm against Albies. I, I, I think he's, I think Jazz is the clear number one guy. I, I don't care what eligibility he's going to have next year. Um, I also, I, I also don't, you know, assume that he's going to be a competent enough center fielder that they actually stick with this plan. Um, and the Marlins are coming up with all kinds of really, really weird plans for 2022. Um, so I would not go assuming that Chisholm is lost, uh, is going to be without some sort of middle infield eligibility for um, kind of forever after this. But yeah, the power and speed are, are extremely legit. And, you know, even if he is a 250 hitter, which it seems likely um, you're you're looking at someone who who can who can go twenty five twenty five and that is um, you're just not going to see that uh, at the position. And honestly, you don't really see that in the outfield very much. So yeah. um, again, the eligibility really shouldn't be a concern. The injuries are, but um, you know he's still he just turned twenty five a couple of days ago. Um, you know he I, I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not putting him in the corner of being a, um, you know, an injury, extremely heightened injury risk going forward yet. Yeah. And I think, well, I'm just going to, I guess, come out here with Albies and say, I wrote him up as a second baseman to avoid in 2023 and honestly moving forward, uh, which feels like dirty or just like wrong to even write or consider such a thing. But, you know, Albies is is 26 years old. He's, he should be in the middle of his prime, maybe just entering his prime. He's on a good team. He should be in a solid run producing position, but you know, everything went backwards in a big way last year. Yes, he had injuries, but he had always been a player who kind of like towed the line. He was, it was a delicate balance, his approach and his power, because he does not have very much raw power. I mean, this is something we've always known. He had 30 home runs in 2021, but the reason he gets to his power is because of his approach. He's he's aggressive, but he's strategically aggressive. He hits the most hittable pitches, pitches that he can handle. He has, for that reason, despite like maybe not the best chase rates, he has exceptional plate discipline. That's why you should never judge a player's plate discipline by their chase rates, except all of that kind of like fell away last year for Albies. His power regressed, which was already borderline at best anyway. His plate discipline basically evaporated. Uh, his chase rate spiked, for what that's worth, way up to 42.6%. Uh, and he also had declining speed, generally. I mean, he still has good speed. Like, I want to say that out front. Like, he's still an above-average runner, even under last year's metrics. But, I mean, if he loses a step, we saw the impact on the bases. He was five for eight stealing, five for, or three for eight, sorry, stealing bases last year. The new rule changes with the pitch clock and whatnot will probably help a player like Albies. But I'm, I just don't know if I see another 30-20 season or even 25-15, which is something that we had come to expect out of Albies. And I don't really see it moving forward. No, I mean, you never want to see... You never want to see decline both from a power perspective and a speed perspective at the same time. Yep, yep. Uh, you, you, you'll always see one or the other going on with a, with a lot of different players, um, especially around injury. But yeah, I, I've I've never really been a big Albies fan. I just I don't think his actual 
raw skill set um, is is capable of letting him extend the kind of performance that we saw in spurts from him over the first couple of years of his career. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if he's, if he's a, you know, a, a 15, 10 guy, um, and honestly, his batting averages have not been, you know, his, his batting average is supposed to be his, his strong suit. And he's, you know, 259 in 2021, 247 last year. Um, he sold, sold out for out power. power. Yeah, and it's not it's not really he's selling out for power that's not going to be um impactful for fantasy. So it's it's just a bad it, it's a bad look all around and uh you know I'm I'm completely with you on avoiding him in redraft leagues. I think he's young enough that you can't avoid him in dynasty leagues cuz he'll still be there and he'll still perform but uh he he is not um he is not in consideration for me to be at the top of this position. Yeah, I mean, you have to also consider with with Albies is that he's going to be hitting in a likely hitting in a lower spot in the order. You know, even in his 2021 season, he never really hit outside the top four positions. And now with the emergence of Michael Harris, the second uh, the addition of Sean Murphy, I mean, there's a legitimate chance we see Albies hitting like sixth and seventh this year, uh, which means less run production as well. Um, he should be the seventh hitter in that lineup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pocota projects 258, 19, 13, um, which isn't terrible. I mean, but at his cost, it's not remotely what, what you would hope for or expect. So, you know, generally I would be fading him. Of course, it depends on the cost. You know, if the cost is right, you there's always, there's always a cost for a player. Like, you will definitely probably be in on him at a certain cost, but not at where he's going. All right. Let's talk about the next tier. Now, these te- players are have you know that we have two aging up uh, second basemen who have had very strong recent performances. Uh, two reigning, I guess, different reigning home run champions of the position uh, with Jose Altuve and Marcus Semien, and we have uh, an emerging, I guess, potential superstar. I mean, he, if you depending upon the metrics you use, Andres Jimenez may have been, had a six WAR season last year. I know that at Baseball Prospectus we have him around. 3.9. But I mean, these are three very intriguing players at this next tier that do offer legit upside. How would you order these three, Brett? Uh, it, it's Marcus Semyon and then I don't care. It's it's Marcus Semyon and then a gap and then everyone else. Uh, I my my favorite kind of playing around with splits from last year, and you never want to play around with splits because it's it's misleading. But Marcus Semyon was god awful to start the 2022 season in Texas. It was a new team. Um, he had an adjustment period. From June 1st on, he hit 268 with 25 homers and 19 steals in 114 games. Now, don't don't project that pace. Don't don't, don't do any of those things, but um, it, it's it's easy to look at what Semyon did um in just his top line stats and and play it off a little bit and it's hard to play off a 25 25 season yeah, yeah. Um, but he is uh he's going to be 32 basically all year um and i don't see any reason why he can't go back out there and hit 250 with 25 homers and steal 20 plus bases again um i i think he's i, I think he's well positioned to do that this year and i think you know i i think he's the kind of hitter who will um i i don't see him just falling off a cliff anytime soon i mean there's there's concerns with there's concerns with the other guys i i i have concerns about him as being able to maintain his level of performance i'm curious to hear what you think about him um and then altuve is i i i I would I would enjoy seeing Jose Altuve continue to do this for uh, an infinite amount of time because I, I do enjoy watching him play, but at, at some point I mean he's just he at some point he's the selling out that he's going to have to do to keep that power going even with the Crawford boxes there is is going to derail his batting average and it's just it's going to come back down I I just the I know he ran more last year again, uh, but he he had not run in years before that, and I don't. 
I don't think that he I don't think he's going to be a uh, 15 plus steel guy again. All right. Well, here is going to be my, uh, I guess, opposite viewpoint <laughs> in a way. Uh, I, for one, if you have those con- reservations about Altuve and his power production, you should have the same reservations about Simeon and his power production because Simeon has actually w- worse power metrics than Altuve last year. The same power metrics as Altuve in 2021. It's They have similar borderline power. I mean, they have borderline raw. I mean, but both of them get all of it, get all of it, and then a lot more because they have excellent bats of ball ability, and they lift and pull. They lift and pull. I mean, both of them are probably, uh, you know, almost poster childs of the lift and pull revolution. And I think Simeon in particular, I mean, he, he puts the ball in the air like few others. I mean, his launch angle last year was 19.9 degrees as average. The year before it was 20.3. I mean, he's just always near the top of that, of that statistic. And he get and because of it, he's going to get to a lot more power than you would ever expect him to get to. But, you know, for the same reasons we have, concerns we have about Albies, I guess with Albies you can say, well, the size too. And we don't have like a great, players with Albies body type, his frame, don't have a great track record of longevity. Um, and, you know, I, Sim, Simeon is a, much taller than Albies. Uh, you know, he's six foot, Albies is five six. So, you know, I think that maybe we could expect Simeon's power production to last a bit longer, but we can't really forget ignore the fact that, for one, Albies led the position in home runs last year with 28. He has averaged 28.2 home runs over the last four years, um, which is, I don't think anyone would have thought that would have happened way back when he was a young uh, MLB star. Uh, but I kind of believe that a lot of the production that we're seeing with Albies is at least somewhat sustainable in the same way it is with Simeon. I think both of them, I mean, I have trouble seeing them being 30 home run hitters. I mean, Simeon's never going to get close to 45 home runs again, but I think both of them could still be 20 plus home run hitters, um, maybe 25. And uh, with speed, I mean, Simeon gives you more speed than Altuve. He doesn't give you the average Altuve gives you. I can, I mean, I kind of prefer, honestly, Altuve to Simeon because I just don't fully buy that Simeon's going to give you any average. Um, I mean, I think maybe maybe 250, 260. Altuve, though, is pretty consistently, you know, 280 up. Uh, so I'm more willing to gamble on Altuve's hit bats of ball and uh, outlasting Simeon's, I guess, recent run of success. But, I mean, I understand people referring to me in, um, so I get it. Uh, and Brett's pointing out that I've been saying Albies. I guess I have Ozzy Albies on, on my mind, but I meant Altuve, of course. Uh, but uh, both diminutive uh, second basemen. So let's talk about Andres Jimenez. Obviously, he had a breakout season last year. Uh, he had 17 home runs and 20 stolen bases. And... You know, a lot of what he did last year, I think some of it is fairly sustainable. Uh, you know, he, he, I think, has room for growth in some ways, particularly in the speed, because he has, he's, he's light, he's really, really fast. And he stole, I believe, 12 bases uh, over his last two plus months. And if he keeps that pace up, I think he could flirt with 30 steals. That said, I not as and Brett can you can go into this but I'm not sure how much I buy the batting average and the home run uh projection I mean he had 17 home runs 297 average last year I think both of them are fairly likely to regress yeah I'm I'm with you on that especially the I think especially the batting average but uh he you know he has the ability to run more than he did but he's going. He's going to have to um, because he's. I, I think if he doesn't, then um, what he's really going to do going forward is is kind of like a poor man's Tommy Edmund, um, where it's basically Edmund except fewer steals, um, which is not. It, it it's totally fine, but not what you want to spend a ton of um 
a ton of value on in in a dynasty league. I, I think chasing Jimenez's 2022 season, seeing that he's you know 24 years old and getting overly excited is something that's really just going to come back to bite you. Yeah, it is worth noting that Pakoda projects him to be a 264, 16 home run, 27 stolen base player. I mean, if he puts that production on, if he does that, I mean, that's, I think, going to sustain where he's being assessed, right, for, for, for some. I think that would, arguably, if he does that after this past year, I mean, he may end up getting consideration as like a top 50 dynasty asset if he can show that he can, the speed is something that's, a sustainable thing uh, over the course of a season. But speaking of Tommy Edmond, uh, you know, because Tommy Edmond's outside of this tier, and I think that you're going to find people that are anti-Tommy Edmond. <laughs> I know that there are those that are against Tommy Edmond on the fantasy staff here at Baseball Prospectus. But let me make the case that there's more here that is le- that he can untap. Um you know, the past two years, he's basically been a very consistent 260, 265 hitter with double-digit home runs and 30 stolen bases. That has a ton of value, plus 90 runs, right? I think what is sitting in everyone's mind with Edmund, or a lot of people's mind, is his July was just atrocious. It was so bad that he dropped from the top of the order all the way down to the bottom, and it just kind of sunk his season. But he rebounded. He rebounded at the end of the season, and I think he looked a lot like he did at the beginning of the season. And if he can take take that forward, I think there's some more here to unlock for Edmund. I mean, his his exit velocities remain very strong. I mean, his, his 90th percentile exit velocities was 103.3 miles an hour, which is just short of average. It's much higher than Simeon or Altuve or even Jimenez. And I think that there's a chance we could see uh, Edmund being a player who even gets up to 15 home runs with 30 stolen bases. And of course, you know, I think the average could even stand to improve too, because he does have fantastic bat to ball ability. He's super fast. Uh, I and he's a switch hitter, so there's the platoon concerns are not as great for him. I just think there's a little bit more here. And if he wasn't hitting, it, it, if he didn't play for St. Louis and was nuked a bit by that park, he could, he would be a guy who would maybe even be flirting with 20 home runs in some places. So I just think he's a guy who people are unfairly dinging for his uh, midseason swoon. And I think he is a player who has a reasonable, it's a reasonable value right now in both redraft and dynasty. I, I completely agree. I, I really like targeting Edmund at this point in dynasty leagues, because I do think the, I do think that how people view him is a little bit different than what he, um, what he can be in reality. Yeah, I think plus a lot of people are expecting stolen bases to move to increase across the league. So a player like Edmund, who's very his fantasy value is very much reliant on his steals or has been, would get I guess negatively impacted by the new rules because he's gonna steal anyway. So you know all you know the rising tide doesn't necessarily people are not believing that the rising tide of stolen bases is, is going to raise all ships here, and I think that might be a little maybe short sighted. I think players that steal a lot might steal a bit more because they just there's more opportunity to pick their spots people who don't steal are still probably not going to steal so i just think that it's probably still going to benefit Edmund. i think Edmund is a player who is a represents a sneaky value even though i know he is still considered for many people a top 100 dynasty and redraft player um i'm briefly we're gonna briefly touch on glaber torres here uh look Labor Torres had, had, had a nice rebound season last year. Uh, he had career highs, believe it or not, in basically all power metrics. Uh, I think one thing I just want to make clear with Torres is we need to just put his 2019 season in the rearview mirror. Do not ever reference it again, just about, except we're probably going to have to make this caveat every single season. <laughs> Look, the 2019 season, juice ball, 38 home run season, it's just not who he is. He's not doesn't have that type of power. Uh I think he's sort of what we saw last year, sort of what maybe we can, the best we can hope for from Glaber Torres year to year. I mean, like a 260, 25 home run, 10 stolen base guy. And, you know, I'm not sure I really believe the steals will be will continue. I know he has had double digit steals last two years and the new rule changes might benefit him, but, you know, he's really slow. <laughs> he's really below average speed. So I just have trouble believing it's something that is sustainable 
And if he ends up being like a 260, 20 to 25 home run bat, he kind of fades into the same value range as a lot of the other second basemen we'll be talking about in a bit. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Torres is that the you know the the tick up in power is is great, and I, it, it comes from he he did do a much better job last year of hitting more fly balls, and if he can continue that, uh, I mean his fly ball rate was the highest of his career in 2022, even higher than in 2019. I I, I think he could cement himself as a tw- as a 25 homer header, which de- which definitely helps. But uh, yeah, he's not he's. He's not a burner by any means, you know. I, you know, if he gets to ten steals again, that's great. But you, you don't really expect it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Brett, I have to ask, and I've asked, I've talked to you about this player before, but why do you hate Vaughn Grisham? Two words, <laughs> Brett Laurie. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> Vaughn Grisham is not a bad prospect, not a bad player. Um people are projecting a lot onto him and for a couple of different reasons. The main one is that he happened to be reasonably successful in a small sample in his, uh, in his MLB debut last year. Um, I don't, I don't see any real impact from a fantasy standpoint anywhere in his game. Uh, I think he's, I think he's being extremely overvalued I also think that you know he's in a weird position with the Braves, and you have to really consider this because the Braves are obviously priming to be an extremely competitive team. They let Dansby Swanson go under the guise that Grissom can handle shortstop. Uh, They do have um, you know they do have someone in Orlando Arcia who could step in there if uh, if Grissom struggles out of the gate. I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is impossible uh, to to find a situation here where Grissom struggles out of the gate, and then the Braves get him a little bit of time in AAA. Remember, he's never played in AAA. Um, I think that he will. I think I think pitchers will expose him. I, he'll have to adjust. He's capable of adjusting, but. Um, I I think he's I just I I don't see the upside or the certainty that people seem to have in him for 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 twenty twenty three and 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 going forward. Yeah, I think with Grissom, a lot of what you're hoping for from him is going to be based on projection still because he's twenty two years old. Uh, he's got a great six foot three frame broad shouldered i think that there's a legit chance that he adds power as he continues to mature um it's i don't think the cement has dried on grisham but right now the power is really not what people maybe think it is i think it's in game probably close to below average i think it may be a touch above that but you know his 90th percentile exit velocity i'm going to bring this up again uh was only 101 miles an hour last year um the mlb average is almost 104 it's 103 like 103.7 or something like that so you know it's definitely not really what we would expect out of a player with his size and, you know, he did flash power. I mean, he flashed it for sure last year. And I think that there's a chance that that figure, that 90th percentile figure, is really more of a product of the small sample than of anything else. So I, I think that there's a chance for, for Grissom to grow into average or above raw. And I do believe in that bat. I think he has great bat-to-ball ability. Uh, he's a lot like a lot of Braves prospects in that he's aggressive but he has good play discipline, <laughs> uh, which I guess is is uh, a little bit odd for a lot of people. Like he's going to have chase rates that are over thirty percent for sure, but he's going to make a he's going to hit his pitches, um, and I think it's going to help him as he moves forward. I get the 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 concern. I, I don't think he's going to be a buy who will provide much speed long term. I mean he's he's not a fast. He doesn't have great speed right now. Uh, his home the first time average last year was 4.47 which is not great um even for a righty i think the speed is probably 
as he gets older and continues to mature, it may even get worse. So I think expecting double digits stolen bases for him, despite the fact that he had five last year in his debut, I just I'm just not there. And you're right. I think what if he is like a 10 home run, five stolen base guy this year? I mean, that's could be what he is if he hits for that much average, and that short-term impact just maybe not there, and I agree with that. But I do like him long-term. I think he could grow into like a 270, 280 hitter at peak with 20 home run power. I just, again, speed, I'm not something that I'm really buying with Grissom, but I am very much bullish on his long-term outlook. Yeah, he'll, he'll have to, if he's going to do it, he's going to have to put the ball in the air a little bit more. All right, well, here's, I guess, a big elephant in the room when we're talking about this position is, what are we going to do? What do we do with Trevor Story in in both either redraft and in dynasty? To be honest, I am I'd be looking to buy Story now because I think his value is completely through the toilet in a lot of leagues, mm-hmm. and I think there's I think people are making the assumption that he's not going to play in 2023, and I think that's probably a fair assumption. I, I think it's. I, at this point, I think it's more likely that he does not play in 2023 than he does. But uh, I mean, Story is—he's—he'll be 30—he'll be 31 in 2024. He's not that old. He's—you know—he kind of—he showed in his first year in in Boston that he can hit for power and run outside of cores. So. I think there is, I think there's a fair amount of value there in 2024 going forward, and I think, I think the frustrating nature of both his, his kind of short 2022 season with the, you know, with the dip in batting average combined with the time of to the timing of the injury, uh, I think is going to cause people to undervalue him from a long-term perspective. So I would I would poke around and ask the person in your league who has Trevor Story if they're looking to improve their 2023 prospects a little bit um, and uh, see if there's a see if there's a way to uh, uh, to to pick him up as a as a longer term play. Yeah, there's a we recently are doing and we're doing it right now a dynasty uh, mock group for uh, OBP formats that is creating a dynasty ADP that's run by Chris Clegg. And in that, Trevor Story's ADP was 167. Uh, OBP, mind you. But, you know, I think that, that you're right, that that's a very reasonable, if you if that's what his cost is, I think that that's a very reasonable time to get in on him. Um, I think, I think he, I mean, he said that he's going to be back this year. I mean, it is a modified Tommy John surgery. I think there's a chance he comes back sooner, but the problem is, is like, where's he going to play? I mean, he'd probably have to be DH only generally if he does return. If they want him in the infield, it's going to take longer and he may not return at all. So I think that's, and with the, addition of Justin Turner and I just don't know if it makes a lot of sense especially if Boston's not going to be if they are not competitive midseason there's a chance Story just doesn't play this year like you said and but I also think like how much is this injury this is a long-term injury this is an injury that's been bothering him for a while you know this was something that was a concern for many teams when he initially signed with the Red Sox so I'm wondering how much this injury has impacted him in his performance over the last few years and that maybe when he comes back from his injury he'll look a lot closer to you know a non-course field Brett or Trevor Story than he has recently and I do agree that like this is a player who still has 25 25 upside in there potentially I mean his pace last year even in a down season that was beset by this injury he had 24 home run 20 stolen base pace if he had played a full 600 or if he had played a full season of 600 plate appearances even not even a full season so don't undervalue him too much i agree that it's a good time to buy speaking of players that i guess may be prime for a rebound that like second base man this position got like eaten up this past year we have so many players who have been previously strong performers of the position coming off of great 2021 seasons who really struggled last year. Um, I've listed four players here, Jonathan India, Brandon Lowe, Jorge Polanco, and Kettle Marte. Of these four players, Brett, who do you think is most prime for a rebound season? Brandon Lowe. There you go. I do not have to think about it very much. Um, I, I, 
I, I really do like his bat. And, you know, uh, 2020, like 2021 was not that long ago, but he almost hit 40 home runs in, in 2021. That's not going to come back. But I think that, you know, I think there's enough there for him to be a, um, for him to be a two, you know, two fifty to two sixty hitter, especially now that the shift is uh, the shift rules are changing with with twenty five homers, which is a good amount more than I think any of these other players are going to do. Are you concerned about the Rays doing their thing and just uh, platooning him or anything like that? Uh, he's one of the few players that they didn't platoon when he was good. So if he's good again, I, I think he's got a chance of kind of breaking that down a little bit but yeah i mean there's there's always there's always a chance of that but you know it's uh that and ultimately that might put a uh a little bit of a damper on his um on his counting stats but you know he's not a um he's not a guy with a huge platoon so i mean last year was a short season a weird season he actually had a he had an OPS against lefties that was 130 points higher than OPS against righties. That says a lot more about his OPS against righties than lefties. And and historically, he's been worse against left-handed pitching. But um, you know, I don't, I don't think the uh, I don't think the Rays will, will straight platoon him if he's actually hitting. Yeah. Well, of these players, a the player I think that is maybe the safest bet to rebound in some way is Jonathan India. Partly because his home park is Great American Ballpark, which is one of the most favorable play, places to hit. It's actually the second most favorable places to hit, place to hit, and it's very, it, you know, it's it's a home run haven. You know, last year India was beset by injuries. He had hamstring injuries that basically nagged him for most of the beginning of the season, and he really was terrible at the beginning of the season. Um, the rest of the way, though, he hit. 267, 351, 418 with a 16 home run pace. Now, while that's not what we saw from him in 2021, you know, he was still trying to get back in the swing of things. I think that, you know, he still flashes solid power, uh, his, and he has a park that amplifies it. So I think a return something closer to what he did in 2021 at a fraction of the cost is very possible. That said, and I'll put this caveat with India because I think it's important to note with him, is that he had very poor defensive metrics last year. Uh, and I think there's a risk with India that maybe he doesn't play second base for long, and then where is he going to play? And if that happens, that makes him a risky long-term proposition, um, especially on a team that has a ton of midfield prospects on their way. So uh, I do still like India as a rebound player, particularly in the short term, but I do think there is some long-term risk with him, despite the fact that he's just 26 years old. I guess. I mean, who, who's going to play left field over Jonathan India once they realize he can't play second base? That's true. I mean, I, I it's yeah, the team, the team right now is very little options up and down, and they're just kind of hoping that Ellie De La Cruz is the next coming, which I think he is. <laughs> we'll be at midseason when, I think we'll be at midseason when the Reds finally go with a, uh, a middle infield of um, of De La Cruz and, and Matt McLean. And, you know, they're going to have to see what they have. And I, I just, I don't think, uh, I don't think India's defense is going to, in the way of that i don't i don't think mclean comes up that early but i do think we will see de la cruz at some point this year but regardless uh the last two i'm just going to do quick notes on the last two players in this group and that's Jorge polanco and kettle Marte. with polanco the big concern here is injuries i mean he was he had serious injury issues last year back and knee injuries and you know i think he needs to prove his health before i'm really fully ready to buy back in i did draft him in a score sheet mock but you know i do still think that there's a lot to like with polanco uh, i think that he has legit power still he hit 33 home runs in 2021 20, uh, i think that he can get back to 260 20 plus production um maybe better maybe 25 plus production i do think that the 
14.4% walk rate will probably come back a little bit. I mean, part of it was really driven just because he made less contact generally. Because he made less contact, he got deeper counts, and he walked. So uh, I think that you know, a healthy Polanco still has a lot. There's still lots of like with a healthy Polanco, and his he's very much a very reasonable player to acquire right now. He's still just 29 years old. He'll turn 30 this year. He's locked in at second base for the Twins for the short term. Um, I'm willing to like bet on a bit of a rebound there. And finally, with Kettle Marte, I'm less I'm less keen that he's going to rebound. Um, he really can't hit right. He really struggles against right-handed pitching, which is a serious problem for a switch hitter because you're going to face righties most of the time. Uh, there's like a little bit of like a short side platoon type like player here with Marte, uh, and if he isn't mashing, absolutely mashing and crushing lefties, his his overall production craters. And uh, the other thing that happened for him last year was his contact rates, which had for a long time been fantastic, really dropped as well. And he struggled against fastballs and sliders, which is a real problem too in the modern game. So I am concerned about Kettle Marte. Plus, he hits in a bad park. While he still will light up StatCast and have some of the best power metrics at the position, I just am not fully buying uh, that he's going to be an impact player um, anymore. I mean, I think that the, we still have the 2019 season and his injury shortened 2020, 2020 season in our minds, um, or 2021 season in our minds, that, uh, that that's how we're associating his value. And I just, I'm just not sure he's going to get there again. All right. Moving on, uh, let's talk about some players that we think are primed for a breakout at the position. Um, and when I say breakout, it may not be like a very fantasy, uh, a sexy fantasy breakout, but it's still going to be a big improvement, improvement of what they've over what they've have done recently. Brett, who's your pick for the breakout player at second base? Uh, so my pick is is Gavin Lux. Of course. <laughs> I think Lux is going to play. He's going to be in the middle of a good lineup. I think he can do a little bit of everything. Um, and I, I think what is going to, I think what's going to come out here more, I mean, the, there, there's not going to be a ton of, a ton of power. I think it'll, I think he'll end up settling at, you know, somewhere between 10 to 15 homer power. Um, but I think the batting average and the speed I think has a chance to really jump up in uh, in in twenty twenty three. I I think he's the kind of player who he's the kind of player who could hit two eighty two ninety, um, and uh, you know even though he hasn't done a ton of it in the majors so far, um, I think he can also steal twenty to twenty five bases. He's he's reasonably fast. I think there's. You know, I think there's more. There's a little more work to be done there, but I think there's, I think there's a lot more upside than people are giving him credit for. Mostly because they are looking at him and saying, "Yeah, I don't think he's going to be a 30 homer hitter," which is fine because he's not going to be. But he doesn't need to be in order to be a potential top five guy at this position going forward. Yeah, I think Lux is an interesting buy right now in both Redraft and Dynasty, uh, given some of the sort of where he's positioned. uh, And I think that he could be a guy who could be like a 15-15 player uh, with a strong batting average, uh, maybe even upside for more. But my pick is going to be a player that uh, (laughs) I'm going to forever hope and think he's going to break out because he does so many things well, but doesn't just a slight change he could really do it it's brendan rogers <laughs> if i brendan, if i had one wish for this entire position it would be that brendan rogers would learn to hit fly balls yeah put the ball in the air man you hit in course field you should not be hitting 52 percent ground balls man <laughs> and less than 20 percent fly balls it's ridiculous i mean it is very firmly a hit over power profile if he if something changes which, I mean, at this point, I think it's kind of a hope and a prayer that it does. But if something changes, he really could break out because he makes he makes tons of contact. He has a solid plate approach and he has above average power. He just doesn't ever really get to it very much. And uh, 
you know, he does hit in course field, so he gets that boost. And I think that, that, you know, he is still just 26 years old. So, you know, eventually it may happen. And I'm kind of still holding out hope. But at the worst, worst case scenario here with Brendan Rodgers, for the most part, is he's still going to give you a good average. He'll still hit like 270 to 280. He'll still give you about 15-ish home runs. And, you know, that's fine, especially at second base. If he does break out, though, I mean, this all of a sudden could trans- he could all of a sudden transform into like a 290 hitter with 20 plus home runs, hitting in course, maybe even more home runs if he somehow lifts more. There's a lot of upside here that's untapped, and uh, maybe it will happen this year. <laughs> this is the year. <laughs> it, it could be, um, but there, there's one other thing I want to touch on in this tier before. Um, before we before we hit anything else and that is this so you you're gonna know where i'm going with this but uh if i told you that there was a player who was going to be 22 on opening day who has played essentially a half a season in triple a and hit over 300 with 21 homers you'd drool over him wouldn't you right jesse you'd drool you'd absolutely drool over him 33 walks, 62 strikeouts in in that same time period. Um, why are people not? Why are people giving up on Luis Garcia? Why? Why? I, I don't get it. I feel like I'm on an island with Garcia. I I I really I know his 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 walk and strikeout numbers have left a little bit to be desired in the majors, but uh, he is incredibly young and he's been young for every level that he has played at. I, I I still see a lot of upside here. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, he's like, what, a 264 career hitter in the major leagues, guys. Like, at 20, you know, between 20 and 22 years old, I mean, that's just super impressive. Uh, I think he's a player that firmly plays up in, in standard formats because he's going to be a drain in OPP formats, at least for now, because his approach is disastrous at the moment. I mean, his, his chase rate's over 40%. He swings all the dang time. Um, everything, so there's so, I think a lot of what I said about Brennan Rogers kind of applies to Luis Garcia. There's underrated power here. I mean, he has a very firmly average, or even more than that, raw power, and he can get into it. He just legitimately hits everything on the ground at the major league level at least he puts everything on the ground he's he's a line drive hitter he's going to give you good average but you know is it going to be super impactful if he isn't lifting and without like huge power because he doesn't have that huge plus raw so i do agree that he's a player that's underrated but there are there's still a lot of work to do and plus he's not he he's very firmly a second baseman, and I think there's questions about how if he can even handle that position, even though his metrics were okay. So I don't know. I think that there's concerns that are right for Garcia, but I think his value right now in both redraft and dynasty, like you said, is just kind of doesn't square with what kind of kind of production he did in AAA and what he's already done in the major leagues. Um, so let's move to the risky options, and we'll touch on these guys briefly. Um, we'll just do quick hits. So we have four players listed here um, that are a bit riskier for the position. That's Thario Estrada, um, Brandon Drury, Whit Merrifield, and DJ LeMahieu. Um, Estrada, at the outset, you know, he hit 260 with 14 home runs and, seven, and 21 stolen bases last year. Uh, he's 27 years old. He has an uncontested path to playing time right now at second base for San Francisco. What's not to like, right? Well, <laughs> he has very much below average power. And, you know, while he makes tons of contact, and I do think that he should still hit for a solid average, the poor power, the poor, and he's also a poor defender, the poor power and poor defense, I think, really leads, question, leads to questions about where his long-term sustainability is as a fantasy asset. I mean, I think in the short term, without much competition, I think he's going to get the playing time. And I think he'll hit to a point, but he may not be quite the impact player that we thought that he was last year. I do not think he's going to be a 15 plus home run player that some projection systems have him for. I think maybe he gets, I think he'll be doubled. I think he'll be about 10 home runs, maybe 20 stolen bases. 
it's decent average, but I think he's getting way overpriced in redraft in particular. And I think that in dynasty, you need to be, he needs to be in like well after 200. He needs to be in that like 250-ish range, not in like the 150 range. Um, so be cautious approaching Estrada moving forward. Brandon Drury. Brandon Drury, he got the benefit from Great American Ballpark and hit 28 home runs. He's not going to hit there anymore. Um, he had career year last year in basically every metric. I think there's some sustainability to his production uh, because I do think that if his contact rates, recent contact rates, the last couple of years hold, and his power gains from last year hold as well, there's a chance he could get back to be like a 250, 260 hitter with 20 plus home runs. But, you know, he's on the Angels. Angels just, they don't maximize players very well. And I'm just not super keen on his long-term success. But, uh, and his price right now in both, in redraft in particular, is just too high for me to take uh, a gamble on someone like Drury. When you can get someone, I mean, like Kettle Marte even, much later. And I'd much rather have someone like Marte, even though I, you know, dissed him earlier. <laughs> All right, the last two are the aging 34-year-olds, Whit Merrifield and DJ LeMahieu. Look, DJ LeMahieu was a product of Coors and the Juice Ball. Since then, he's hit like 260 with a 360 slugging percentage. I think he's done in a lot of ways. I just don't think he's, for one, doesn't have an everyday role necessarily right now. He's a utility man at this point. I think, you know, for those holding on to what he did in 2019 and 2020, just it's not happening again. He hits the ball hard. It's on the ground. It's it's an uninspiring profile. It's a basically an empty average profile without the average you're chasing. So I just think LeMay, who's a player that you need to fade hard, and are, he's arguably, he's not, he's going to be in the top 500, but he's arguably not a top 500 dynasty player in my mind right now. Um Another player like that is Whit Merrifield. Now, Whit Merrifield, he's still one base since he went to the Blue Jays. One! <laughs> uh, he did hit five home runs. He rebounded a lot of ways. He's he's out of Kaufman, which is a big deal. I think there's a chance we could see like a return to double-digit home runs, maybe even up to 15 for Whit Merrifield with a solid average. But if the speed isn't quite there... Um, I'm, I mean, he's not the player he used to be. And Toronto has shown the willingness to run in the past. They didn't run necessarily a ton last year. But I think he could get back to 280-10-20. But he's treading hard in the wrong direction. And, you know, there's a chance he moves into a super utility role as well. So uh, not a player that I'd be chasing in Dynasty uh or even in redraft. And I think his redraft cost right now is wild. It's like around 200 or in within the top 200, which no thank you. Uh, now, I we're going to both touch on two players that we are targeting in the middle rounds of drafts at second base. And Brett, who's your mid-round target? Uh, my mid-round target is Jeff McNeil. Uh, so I... You know, McNeil is. I, I am fully on board with the um, with the impact elite batting average continuing year over year. Um, I he is he is an incredible player to watch on a regular basis because he just he always puts the ball in the right place, and uh, you know it's a it's a weird profile. It's a weird batted ball profile. There's there's no one quite like Jeff McNeil out there, but I I have a lot of confidence that he's going to continue to be a um, a player who can hit substantially over 300 with you know probably 10 to 12 homers. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be a really good lineup. He's going to be featured pretty prominently in that lineup. Um, he might he might knock in a lot more runs than you think because he's he he will probably end up being five or six in that lineup uh, behind a, a bunch of really good hitters, and he makes a ton of contact. So um, I think he could run up a good amount of um, runs better than from from where he's going to be. But I, 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 I like it a lot. Yeah, other than 2021, which was a forgettably terrible season for him, <laughs> he's never failed. McNeil has never failed to hit below 311 in a season. 
which is just a crazy little like stat out there for him. Um, he's basically Luis Araz, but cheaper uh, in both Dynasty um, and typically in Redraft. Uh, but uh, all right, let's move to my guy. My mid-round target is uh, Max Muncy. Uh, Max Muncy may be back, guys. Uh, you know, for most of the season last year, he was battling injuries. Um, but over the last two-plus months, he hit 247, 358, 500 with 12 home runs and a 50.7% hard hit rate. I mean, for a long time, three of the last five seasons, he was a very consistent 250, 35 home run force. I mean, he is 32. He is coming. He has had recent injury issues. But he's going to hit in the middle of a good Dodgers lineup. He's coming off a very strong end of the season. And, you know, no one's not his cost right now, particularly in Dynasty, doesn't bake in the fact that he could conceivably do 250-35 again. So I'm right on, I'm in on Muncie at his value. He's also eligible at third base, and we'll get to third base next week. Third base is bad. <laughs> uh if you thought the middle rounds of second base are bad, then just wait until you get to third base. So I, I like his flexibility and the power upside, which is very uncommon at the position. All right, to close the podcast, we are going to talk about one prospect. We've already talked about Jamar Johnson, at, and go check out the first year player draft episode that we put to get put out a couple weeks ago. Um, Jace Young as well at that episode. We're going to focus to the, the end of this episode on Connor Norby. Brett, how much of Connor Norby's production last year do you buy? Um, I am going to go with 76.8%. I, I buy 76.8% of his uh, performance. He basically hit 280 with 30 homers across three different levels as a 22-year-old. Two levels, double and triple, um, double and triple A. But yeah, yeah, he was ridiculous in the season. He hit 334, 06, 656 over his final 54 games. Hit 19 home runs during that span. And, you know, I can get, I understand why people are like falling in love with that production. Um, but, you know, the data doesn't necessarily support it fully. Uh, you know, this is not like a plus power hitter. Um, he doesn't have that type of like pop. Um, and the contact rates, while good, are not like amazing. So I think that, you know, we need to be a little bit cautious approaching uh, that type of production, particularly production in AAA. You know, AAA, even in the International League, it is is generally a favorable hitting environment, especially late in the season. So just, I would be a little cautious approaching Norby. I do think he's a top 50 dynasty prospect because I do think he could be like a 260, 270 hitter with 20 to 25 home runs. I think he could be that, uh, maybe even 25-ish home runs. Uh, but he also gets to f- potentially play in Camden Yards, and Camden Yards is not kind to right-handed batters anymore. Uh, and we must keep that in mind when we're talking about Orioles prospects. And, uh, you know, Orioles prospects not named Kobe Mayo, who have just ridiculous power that doesn't matter what the park size is. He'll hit it out. But Connor Norby is not one of those players. So, you know, I, while I like him, I do think it's his upside. I think people are chasing a little bit too too much of what his production was it's not it's not quite what he was right now i and but our depth charts team is fantastic um we're projecting adam frazier to be playing two-thirds of the time at second base for the orioles adam frazier like there is if he hits in triple a to start the year he is going to come up (laughs) he will so uh i mean it's it's uh The Orioles paid Adam Frazier $8 million. I know, but there's nothing in his way. They could pay $8 million for him to play every other day in left field. It's fine. That like, that's true. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the other question with Norby. Is is he a long-term second baseman? I don't know. I mean, I think yeah, that's the big, for now, he's fine, though. For now. For now. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I think that there is opportunity there, you know, because, you know, They've got Ramon Urias and Adam Frazier there, both right now projected to play second and third. Um, While, you know, they both have utility, I mean, both of them are likely back bench. They're probably best utilized as, like, bench infield options rather than starters. So, 
You're right. I think that there is a legitimate opportunity here for Norby as soon as early this year. It's worth noting that he's not Rule 5 eligible until December 2024. Um, and for a team like the Orioles, who are getting to have a fairly crowded 40-man roster, I think that may be a consideration that could we could see someone like a Joey Ortiz come up and fill that like role, or even Jordan Westberg role, ahead of Norby, at least in the short term. But yeah, I think the long-term upside with Norby is quite solid. Um, And that'll do it. Uh, That is our second base show. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brett, for coming back on the show this week and talking the Keystone with me. Of course. Love to do it. I mean, not not the Keystone, but love to come (laughs) on and, and, and talk to you on here. Yeah, next week we will be talking about third base, which is a lot more exciting, especially at the top. But then it's uh, <laughs> in the mid in the middle rounds. Um, so stay tuned. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.